We did a three-part series. One is friendship, second one is marriage, and today we're talking about singleness. And um, my goal is that you would walk out here, if you're single, satisfied and content in your relationship with Jesus. If you're married, that you would walk out here with a little bit more relational intelligence of how to handle single people and not make stupid mistakes the whole time around them. Third, if you're a parent with kids that are still living in your house uh, that are not married, that you would learn also how to prepare them for their one-day marriages. And you lay the right foundations in their hearts and minds so that they don't go off and do stupid things and get into things prematurely or make mistakes when they do get into things. And so it's a message that's geared towards everybody. And um, can, I, can I do it? I mean, they tell you not to make apologies when you do talks, etc. But this is not a talk. This is like, a, you know, I'm... I, I, I'm having a conversation with you guys. So you guys can talk back at me, even if you don't agree. Then I'll just ask you to wait in the foyer for me until we're done. Now I'm just messing. You can say. Um, but I really want to say that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on some, some toes today. All right. So if you, if you want to pull them back already, <laughs> just be ready. Because, because here's why. How many of you have realized that there's a difference between rela- rela- religion and the kingdom of God? Okay, not that many. Mm. There's a difference between religion and the kingdom of God, the God that we serve. The kingdom, the God that we serve is not interested in religion. The God that we serve did not start religion. He did not initiate it. The God that we serve is a king of a kingdom that has citizens. And he has rulership in that kingdom, and his first and foremost goal for humanity is to get humanity to transition from one kingdom to a different kingdom. And the only way that that can happen is if you become holy. Because if you are to live in the kingdom of God, the Bible says that you are living in the presence of God, and unholiness cannot be in the presence of God. Which brings a dilemma because none of us can make ourselves become holy. No matter how much we try to be good, to do good, and follow systems that teach you how to be good and how to do good, aka religions, you cannot make yourself become holy. Which means you cannot get entrance into the kingdom of God through religion. There is no system of do's and don'ts, no matter what and how benevolent it might seem, that can help human beings become good enough to get entry into the kingdom of God. And that is the premise of why Jesus Christ had to come and do that on our behalf, because we were not able to do it on our behalf, on our, for our own sake. So the whole, the whole reason why Jesus had to come become a man was because someone needed to do this and live to tell the tale. And so when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just a nice idea or an unfortunate you know, fate that he had to. It was the only way that he could create a means for us to gain access into the kingdom of God. And that's why none of your religious observance of festivals, of 
you know, sacrifices of trying to be good is in any form or way benefiting you anything when it comes to you wanting to be right with God. Now, I also grew up in a religious environment. In fact, my, my teaching was based on, on, on um, like, you know, family lineage. And essentially, I was taught that, you know, you're saved based on the fact whether you're born in the right family or not. That's how I was brought up. It's called Reformed Theology. If you're part of the chosen ones, then you're in. If you're not, then sorry. It doesn't matter how much you want to do to try and get in, you ain't getting in. And, um, and I had to go through a similar process of actually realizing that that is not what the Bible says. That those are man-made ideas that came about through you know, traditions and the way people reasoned during certain you know, centuries. And it simply isn't scriptural. The Bible is very clear that we get saved by grace through faith and that faith is a decision to trust not in your own good works but in the one and only work that was done by Jesus Christ and that was to die on the cross for our, on our behalf, be raised by God from hell to tell the tale and to offer salvation to those who would confess with their mouths that I trust Jesus, not myself. And so if you've been taught that salvation is based on membership or salvation is based on your good works or your observance of certain festivals and rules and regulations and you know, um, making certain sacrifices, then I'm sorry, but you've been sold a lie. That is called religion, and it has no more worth than any other religion in the world to gain you salvation. The only thing that can get you to be saved is if you confess that you believe that you're a sinner that is that is the chasm that lies between us, the song that we sang, that does not, you're a sinner that has been separated from God because of your sin and that you believe that Jesus Christ came to close that gap and that you have made a decision to fully depend on Jesus' work on the cross alone for your salvation. Feels like I'm right about ready to do an altar call right now. But that's what it comes down to. And see, unless we understand that there are that, that the Bible is not just a book of good suggestions, it is literally containing the only way unto life. We cannot take from the Bible um, what we need to fix what's broken in us because we only see it as nice suggestions. And it's all good what the Bible says, but here's how I do it. No, there is no here's how I do it in the kingdom of God. There is simply how God wants it done. And we come and we bow our knee, say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. We don't go and come to God and say, hey, I've got a better suggestion. Why don't I, like, you know, me, one and only, do things this way? And you just comply with how I want it done. He's just going to say one day, I never knew you. I never knew you. Doesn't matter how much good you did. Doesn't matter how much you, you know, you wanted to be in. You have to first take that step. Now, once you took that step, all of a sudden, every action that you do gets to be redeemed. Now it has value. Now it actually adds. Now whenever you do something good, it actually gets accrued to your account because you've become alive in Christ. And so our good works and our benevolence and all of that, it makes a massive difference and it gains us much benefit. But outside of the kingdom of God, there is 
no much benefit for it. It's like trying to fill up a bottomless pit. And until you get somebody to come and form a container, nothing we throw into it actually helps a lot. And so I say that today because sometimes we, sometimes we, we settle in society by just going, you know what, this is good enough for us. You know, we get by, you know, I'm, I'm getting by and, you know, I'm good and, 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 and that's all fine. But you know what, God doesn't want, wants more for us. God wants us to walk according to His standard. There's this verse in the Bible that says that Jesus Christ is the hope of our glory. The word glory means fullness, right? So God wants more for you. He wants you to walk in His likeness, in His image. How many of you mistook me for PJ? Yeah, come on, be, be, come on, be, be honest. How many of you have mistook me for PJ, right? Quite a, quite a few of you, right? So here's what happened in the Garden of Eden. God made Adam. And if you were able to walk in the Garden of Eden with them, when you see Adam, you would, you would, you would have to do a double take. It'd be like, oh, there's God. No, wait, that's Adam. That's how likeness means. It means that they shared such a similarity that you had to do a double take. Because God, Adam carried God's image. Now, when sin came in, he lost that image completely. He lost it. And the whole Old Testament and all that is just a journey of God journeying with humanity to try and help us to regain that relationship with Him so that we can once again carry His glory, so that we can once again live as duplicates of God, as the image of God on earth. This is so important because if you think of your life, your life carries value because not what you do, what you add, what you bring, but because who made you and in whose image you were made. That's why you have value. You're valuable because God created you in His likeness and in His image. And, 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 and now the Bible says in Ephesians 2, we are His workmanship. Another word that we can use in English to explain what the Greek is saying, it says, you are His poem to the world. That means that God, I mean, poems, I mean, I know poems could go everywhere, but when I think of poems, normally it's in the sense of romance, right? You know, this guy wrote a poem to his, to his beloved, etc. Here's God. You are God writing a love poem to society. God wants to express how much he feels for, how, how, how he wants to express his love through you to society. And you are his poem to woo other people to become soft in their hearts toward Him so that they will say yes to His offer of relationship. So my question today is, what kind of a poem are you being to society? Do they encounter, society encounter you and go, oh wow, God loves me? Or does society encounter you and go, I ain't serving that God? Because we are meant by God to reflect who He is to the world and what He wants for the world. And so I want to encourage you, don't think of yourself as just okay. God has so much more for you. He wants to use you in so many more ways. And you do not have to wait for anything until something for you to be able to step into that. So today we're going to talk about being single. But 
you know, it doesn't matter where you're at in your life. You either know a single person or you have a single child or you are single or you used to be single or you're participating in a society that has singles. So I think I've kind of encompassed everybody right now. Okay. And, and, and this is important for you because if you're going to help people to live their full value, their full significance and pursue their purpose purely because they were made in God's image, you're going to need to know some of the things that we're going to share today. And like every single step you take towards this in your life is going to make a huge difference because it will it'll heal people's hearts and it will help people to actually get going on what God has made for them to get going on. So I want to with that read some, um, some scripture verses from 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to take a couple. So I'll start with verse 7. It says, sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. This is Pastor Paul speaking, not me. A simpler life in many ways, which might be true. But celibacy is not for everyone, any more than marriage is. How many of you have ever read that verse? Marriage is not for everyone. What? <laughs> well, yeah, it says it. Um, God gives the gift of the single life, aka celibacy, to some. The gift of the married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them, as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married, because the difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. It's kind of, you know, a free translation. But what it really says is that if you have a desire to be married and to be um, uh, to have a life uh, with a partner that, that you can have that kind of intimacy with, then you're good. Don't worry about it. You're probably given the gift of marriage. And don't be going into like a hole like, I'm a, oh, maybe I missed my calling. I should have been celibate, but now I'm married. No, don't go there. We're not going to talk about the things today that we should, you know, that I'm not saying. Okay. <laughs> so when you find your mind wandering off, because I know this topic, man, it can, it can, it can make some questions come to mind. But just focus on what we're saying today and put those things to rest because it's really going to benefit all of us if we have people that are living fulfilled and satisfied in their lives with Jesus, in their, in their relationship with Jesus. Okay, so um, there are three truths that will help us to build single, secure, and satisfied individuals as well as to build a society that actually in, 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 uh, encourages people to to not feel that they need to be somewhere else than where they are right now when they're sing- single. Okay, so let me, let me get into the first point. The first point is you don't, have to be, you don't have to wait to be great. Now, I know we sometimes hear this in our children's environments because we want to tell those little kids, man, Jesus has a purpose for your life and you don't have to wait till you're an adult before you tell people about your love for Jesus and you can you know, confess your faith in, in, in Christ when you're you know, at an age where you understand what it all is about and you know, we'll let you do the full you know, the public declaration of your faith uh, and, and as a testimony to your friends that you're serving Jesus now, and you can invite your friends to church and to our children's church, to our youth groups. You don't have to wait before Jesus can start using you. You can do it right now. You can do it right now. In fact, if you look in the Bible, God used young people and kids so many times to enact one, his, his, his most important plans. To think that somebody thinks they need a way to be great is, is just is beyond us. 
Because the Bible is so clear about God's purpose for young people and how much he has for them to do and how much influence he wants to um, uh, exert into society through them. So I just want to tell this to you. When you're in, when you're in elementary school, don't be thinking, oh, one day I'm going to get to high school, my life is going to be made. No, don't be worrying about what's there, worrying about what's now. If you're in high school, my life only starts when I'm in college. No, your life started, better wake up. It's time to wake up. God wants to use you where you are right now. And that counts for everybody in this room. Your life doesn't start one day when you get married. God has a plan for you now. But if you despise your now, if you're constantly wishing that you were somewhere next, you're going to miss out everything that God has for you now. Because you won't be looking at all the opportunities and all the things that he is offering you to do. And you'll just be always thinking, oh, that needs to happen next. That needs to, that'll be for that season. You know? so one day when I'm in college, I'll start you know, taking up a cause. And then I'll start living for a cause. Let me tell you this. When you get there, you're probably going to go, no, you know, I need to focus on something right now. Let me go do this the next season. Yes, why? Did you know that we're creatures of habit? Come on, how many of you brush your teeth the same way every morning? All right, I do. Creatures of habit. We're all creatures of habit. Now, if you're the one single person in here that switches hands every day, well done, okay? <laughs> I'm sure the most of us are not. We, we use our same hand and we just brush our teeth. Get done, you know, we've got stuff to do. But here's the thing. You build a mental habit of detaching from your present and attaching to what comes next. And that means that if you do it now, you're going to do it for the rest of your life. And you're never going to be satisfied with any of your seasons, whether you get married, get kids, send them away, get old, die. You're not even going to be satisfied when you die. Because you built a mental habit of detaching from your present and not seeing the value of the now. And so stop doing that. Stop thinking when I'm there, I'm going to do this. Live where you are. Find out what you can do now and get busy doing it. Because that's God's will for your life. The grass isn't greener on the other side, okay? The grass is greener where you, where you feed it and where you give it moisture. That's where the grass is greener. So this season can be your greenest if you start feeding it correctly, if you start maximizing the potential of this season correctly. What can you do now to glorify God and to honor God with your life? There is always, always a calling for every season, and don't wish yourself out of your current season. You know, it's called the present because it's a gift from God to us to use and to capitalize on. And I want to encourage you, if you're single in this room today and when you're listening to this, this message, your single season, singleness season is so valuable to God. And don't wish for the day that you're no longer single. Now, doesn't mean you can't dream about your, you know, white dress and wedding and all of that. Dream about it. But you have to protect your heart so that it doesn't become consuming to you and it literally makes you lose your focus on what God wants you to be pursuing and doing and puts your focus on who is going to be the one that brings me that white dress. Who's going to be the one that I put in that white dress? Look, it's the wrong focus. It is not wrong, but it's the wrong focus. Because God has so much to add and to bring to you and to develop you into in this season of singleness that if you divert your focus, you're going to lose out on so much. Let me say this to you. 
You have a purpose now. Do you know what it is? What's your purpose right now? What are you meant to do for God right now? Now, just follow my logic here for a second. Some of you might have an idea of that. Some of you must have been figuring it out. Some of you just goes like, blank. I have no idea. A marriage is entering into, uh, when you enter into a marriage, you enter into a partnership of purpose. God is bringing two people together to fulfill what he wants them to do. Think of what God did with Adam. He gave Adam work. Based on Adam's activity, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. Right? That means that God has purpose, and God is wanting to bring two people together to help one another have purpose. Now, sometimes we think that the man has purpose, and the woman just needs to wait until the man comes and rescues, and then she'll have purpose. Look, you were created in Christ Jesus as a love poem to your society. That started the day you got conceived. You know why? Because from the minute you got conceived and your parents realized it, you started changing lives. You started influencing. You started making stuff happen in the physical realm before you were even conscious of what you were making happen. Because God's purpose was enacted the moment you came to be. And that will continue to happen, and God wants to lead you in this discovery period. Now, think how crazy this is, that you, as a person with purpose, that might not know what that purpose is, joins yourself to another purpose, another person, who doesn't know what his purpose or her purpose is, and there's these two purposeless people just trying to figure out what they need to be doing together. Yo, 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 yo. That is... That is like recipe for disaster. No wonder we have people that are striving against one another because you're not doing what I think I need to be doing and you're not doing what I think I need to be doing. What do you need to be doing? I don't even know yet. Right? You have to be careful before you join yourself to somebody that you know what God has placed on your life to do so that the one He joins you with can enhance what you need to be doing and can serve that calling on your life. And it goes both ways. I think one of the reasons why we have so many issues in married life is because, you know, we enter into married life thinking that we can just be two singles who live, who cohabitate. Right? And then you think that woman lying next to you in bed is your mom because she needs to do everything for you, Right? told you I was going to be stepping on some toes here today. She's not your mom. That's a horrible thought. Come on, people. She's your wife. And she has a purpose. Do you know what it is? Do you know what God's purpose on your wife is? Are you serving God's purpose on your wife? Do you know what your husband's purpose is? Or you're just enjoying the benefits. You know, you're more than a conqueror. He goes out, works, gets the check, and comes home, delivers the check. You didn't do nothing, but you get the check. You're just enjoying that? No. <laughs> your, wife, your husband has a purpose. And God placed you guys together. All right. Let me just handle this. What if you don't currently have one of these amazing 
what marriages and you're kind of struggling, etc., etc. It's okay. There's something about the full knowledge of God that placed you two together and, 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 and in a way is wanting both of y'all to help one another now understand what is God's purpose for your lives and shape one another to figure that out. But you guys have to go, hey man, I want you to live God's purpose for your life. Can we stop praying for that? Help me understand what do you feel God's calling you to do. Have that conversation with your spouse so that you guys can together start feeling, hey, where do we go forward with this? What, other, what is the poem that God wants to d- recite to our community through our marriage? And as you start on that journey, you'll find that God has been so providential that He's actually helped you guys already to be able to fit into one another's purposes. But if you're not there yet, let us not go and hide the truth from you that it's, you can make easier decisions. <laughs> you can make decisions about who you marry that might be a better fit. And by no means am I saying that one, on, let me say this. One of my mentors used to tell me this. Look, if you, if, before you're married, keep your eyes wide open. I mean, don't be justifying anything. Oh, I'm sure he'll stop doing that once we're married. Oh, I think I, she'll definitely change. You know, she's going to come around. She'll, you know, start wanting and liking to cook. And, and then, uh, none of that's going to happen. Before you get married, don't justify anything. You have to consider, are you willing to live with that? Now, if you are, God bless your soul. Um, and, and I'm happy for you. That's good. But if you're not, don't think it's just going to disappear. But she said, when you're married already, you kind of have to start squinting. And you're basically working with silhouettes, okay? You're, you're seeing very little detail about anything, and you're just kind of going with the flow because now you have to have grace for where your spouse is at. And you need this, this is your ground zero. This is now where you become from, where you grow from. And God, by His grace, is going to map out a journey for you to get to the target, to get to His poem in your marriage, in your life. And if you will keep your heart soft towards Him, and if you will submit to His Lordship, He will lead you there. Amen? Come on. He has a purpose for every marriage. And we need to pursue that. Right? Now, I'm not advocating for anybody to, at this point, you know, um, not be in any relationships to even if you're not married to like you know ditch your boyfriend or your girlfriend or any, any such things all i'm saying is what is your focus currently and is your relationship going to allow you to focus on god's plan for your life if it's not it's time to make some decisions whether that be a conversation a little confrontation that says hey i don't feel our relationship is leading us to have god's purpose in our lives fulfilled what can we do about it and then start working towards a solution. And if you cannot find a solution, well then, for a season, maybe it's time that you do break it off. But you're not breaking it off for just no good reason. You're doing it because you want to pursue what's right in God's eyes. God has a plan for your life. And He wants you to be able to discover that, develop that. And when you do, you'll find yourself soon enough either reconnecting or you'll realize why I shouldn't have been connected in the first place. So, coming back to my, I kind of, I kind of went away on that for a little bit. But I want you guys to really, really realize that 
Let's go to point number two. A ring or a relationship does not determine your value. A ring or a relationship doesn't determine your value. You have value outside of that on your own in God's sight. And you're not going to be anything or anybody until, no, sorry, can't think that you're only going to be somebody once you step into a relationship. That is room, that is like recipe for disaster because you're, you're stepping into a very demanding life situation, not having security in who you are yet. And if you don't have security in who you are, listen to the quote that this guy says. He says, um, when we're, when we're, where's that quote? Sorry. When you try to build intimacy with another person before you've gotten whole on your own, all your relationship becomes is an attempt to complete yourself. So you start looking at your spouse and saying, hey, you're not doing this for me. Hey, you're not doing this for me. You need to be doing this for me. You need to be giving this to me. And whenever they don't, there's strife and there's conflict. And, and, and at some point, that can get so bad that you, you want out. That you want out. And we know that, that God never meant for marriages to ever end. And that's his standard, and, 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 and we need to honor that standard. You know, something, something went wrong in society where they now differentiate between covenant marriages and then something else. Right? You guys know this, right? You can get married in the United States, and you can opt to have a covenant marriage, and you can opt to have a, I don't even know what you call this. Because in God's sight, every marriage is a covenant there is no such thing as a non-covenant marriage. It's like saying, hey, you can have this round circle and then you can have... There is no such thing as a square or other shaped circle. A circle is a circle. A marriage is a covenant and that's just the way it is. And so if we, if we hold that standard up against society, we go, oh my goodness, maybe I should, be, I should be considering that a little bit more deeper before I just head into that. Because in the sight of God, this is a lifelong commitment. Maybe I should know who I am first before I go into it. And maybe I should know who the person is before I go into it. And the Bible says that in Christ, we are not supposed to know each other according to the flesh. We are supposed to know each other according to the Spirit. Which that means I need to know who are you in Christ before I know, before I worry about who you are in physical form. And we place way much, too much value on a person's looks and a girl's looks and, you know, their style and, the, and their personality and all those things. And they're very important because if you don't like them, then why are you wanting to get married to them in the first place? And if you, if, you know, if you don't, fit, if you don't like their personality, then there's going to be zero attraction and, and God made attraction. So that needs to be there. But the value needs to be on who that person is in Jesus and what is their purpose. And does that make my purpose comes to life? And that is the purpose of singlehood is for you to figure that out, for you to be able to figure that out. Hey, if you're Having somebody in your life that is single. How many of you have, like, I mean, I was not even in pre-K when my dad would, would ask me, okay, so who's your girlfriend in school? And I had an answer for him. That's the saddest part of it all. Why? Because we condition ourselves, our kids from like this age that you're not enough until you have a relationship. 
You cannot be right. Something has to be wrong with you because you're single. That has to end. There is nothing wrong with being single. (laughs) God wants you to be absolutely enjoying your season of singleness and focusing so much on all the things that he has for you and thrive in it. And we'll show you later a little story of how God uses your pursuit of your purpose to align you with the person he's meant for you to walk with. If marriage is where God is leading you, you don't have to be looking and searching and fighting and flirting and all of those things because God will bring the right person to you. Even more so if you're following what he wants for your life and if you're pursuing that. Point number three today is like focus on your purpose and trust God for your partner. Focus on your purpose and trust God for your partner. You know, the two biggest lies we have in society is I need a better marriage and I need more money. Well, the truth really is, is um, you don't need a better marriage. You just need to invest in the one you have. You don't need more money. You need to honor God with your money. Because if we honor God with our lifestyles, we end up having enough and more to give away. And so it's time for us to bring alignment to our hearts. And, and you know what? It's, it's, it's amazing that this whole thing about the kingdom of God is, if you, if you think of the olden days when they talked about the kingdom of God, right? It's, it, it was an allegiance. People served their king with everything in them. Their lives belonged to their king and they would go to battle and die for their king because their hearts was knit to him. That is the kind of family that God wants on earth, a family where the people's hearts are knit to him. And whenever he says whatever he says, we go, yes, Lord, we're there, right? But so much of Christianity has become this, oh, I have to thing. Oh, now that I'm a Christian, I don't get to do this and this and this any longer, Man, that is not the state that God wants our hearts to be in. He wants our hearts to be in a place where it's like, man, I get to do life this way. I do not have to say yes to sin any longer. I can be, I'm free of that. No temptation has anything on me anymore because, man, I, I want nothing more than to please God and honor God with everything that I am do. So, so the lure of temptation becomes so much less. And I get to walk in so much more victory, not because I'm trying to behavior modify. Oh, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. Don't do that, JJ. Don't do that. Don't do it. Where's my focus? Is it my focus on the sin? Right? It's like the more you focus on the sin that you're not supposed to be doing, but trying not to do it, you're just lining yourself up for a postponed failure. And so God wants us to focus on Him. And as we focus on Him and as we pursue Him and His purpose on our lives, we forget that there is a thing like temptation that is, that is, that is you know, going to make me fail in the future. And so the, the whole focus of my heart needs to shift away from, oh, I have to because I am a child of God to, I get to. I get to to follow Him in every area of my life. I get to honor Him with my relationships. I get to honor Him with my singleness. I get to honor Him with, with my marriage and with everything that comes, comes, uh, comes after that. 
So if you're a miserable single, you're going to be miserable in marriage. It's just going to manifest somewhere it is. It's just, a, it's just a fact. God wants us to become whole, secure, and satisfied in Him. And then when you, cho- you join two people who are whole, you get momentum. But when you're having a, a massive deficit in your own life, you're trying to get your spouse to fill that deficit. And it's not going to work. You're expecting too much of them. That's something that came out of our previous, um, Sunday, uh, previous Sunday. But you prepare for that while being single. And you prepare your single kids for that by showing them the truth about their season. That they don't have to wait to be great. That they don't have to have a ring to have value. And to be used by God. And that if they focus on their purpose, God will give them a partner in the right time, and it's going to be the right partner that complements their purpose. Um, Song of Solomon 8 verse 4 says this following. It says, Promise me, O woman of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. See, we live in a society that awakens love from pre-K already. Who's your girlfriend? Who's your girlfriend? Hey, don't you have a girlfriend yet? Hey, and then we go... Hey, are you ever going to get married? Right? And then you go, Oh, when are you going to get kids? And when you get kids, you go like, Oh, when's this coming? Answer me something real quick. Why do we always ask people questions about their next season and never about their current season? Isn't it true? Come on, talk back to me. Isn't it true? It's like when a couple just got married. Oh, so you're going to wait a little while or you're going to get kids right away? don't ask that (laughs) give them a gap to be married and not have kids why don't we rather ask things like this hey hey what are you enjoying about your current season can we think of questions that helps them understand that you don't have to move on to the next before you become valid and sometimes it's the fear of the parents that egg the child on to get married because you think, oh, they're going to get, 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 get a husband. Hey, they need to first and foremost know that they're enough in Christ and that you're satisfied with them where they are for them to get secure enough to be able to be a good spouse once that day comes. Don't egg people on to go into their next season. Help them to appreciate their current season. And um, because the moment you try to, to, um, to, to meet a God-given desire outside of God-intended design, you end up actually missing the mark or, or sinning. It's like that's why people, they, they, the kids these days, they want intimacy before God's designed place for intimacy. And they end up just messing up their lives. And choosing a very difficult path for them to walk, it's not impossible. It sure is more difficult and more complex. Where God had a design for when things need to happen. So does that mean you can't date, go on dates, have, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm asking you, where's your heart at? Mom and dad, I'm asking you, where's your heart at regarding your child? And make sure you help them to see their value outside of relationships and egg them on to prepare for God's purpose in their lives. And God will allow that 
path to merge with another's path in time. And they will get joined to their purpose partner. I'm going to tell you a quick story in the Bible that explains just this journey of searching out your purpose and trying to do what's right by your season and trusting God with the rest. So there was this woman in the Bible called Ruth, and she had a husband, she had a husband who died. Um, she, her mother-in-law was living with them. Her mother-in-law decides to go back to Israel and puts her two daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law do this decision, hey, go back to your people or, for, or come with me. And basically she was trying to encourage them to go back to their people because the mother-in-law was thinking, hey, if you, if you don't, I don't know if I can find you a husband. If you go back to your people, somebody can marry you again. The one goes back, the one named Ruth, she decides, no, I'm going to stay with you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. But it's, it's a little bit more complex than that because she's a foreigner. And in those days, that was an issue. Now, thankfully, no longer the case, but in those days it was. And, 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 and so by doing this, she was practically saying, it's okay if I never marry again. My purpose is to honor my mother-in-law and to look after her and to serve her. And so we, the story in, in Ruth 2, verse, uh, chapter 2, is where she, um, she goes about that and, and she starts doing what's necessary to look after her mother, mother-in-law in the household. And so it means that she needs to go and get, you know, she needs to f- find food for the family because there's no man that can look after them. They have to do it themselves. And so she goes out to, to, to get some grain and she falls in behind the harvesters and it's called gleaning when you, when you take some of the harvest that was left behind by the, by the actual people they were harvesting. And she was gleaning in the fields. And so, so I'll, I'll just read the rest of the story from, from here. Um, she said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after the harvesters uh, uh, and, and, and whose sight I shall find favor. And then she said, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to this man called Boaz. So here's Ruth, a godly woman. She chose to follow God instead of looking after her own future. She, she kind of gave up that and she honored God with what her purpose was for that moment. And she was serving her mother-in-law. She wasn't looking to get married. She wasn't looking for a man. She was looking to serve her mother-in-law and do what was right by her. But watch what happens. Boaz, said to, Boaz notices her and says to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant says, um, she's the young Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean after among the sheaves of the reapers, uh, to gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So the testimony of this this, this, this man that was in charge about her was that she was diligent. She was a hard worker. She was focused. She was doing what she needed to do. She wasn't there, you know, just looking for an opportunity to go and flirt with a guy. And guess what happens? A little bit later in that, you see Boaz becomes her redeemer. In other words, he pays the price for her to be included in his family. Beautiful picture of Jesus Christ who comes and pays the price to make us included in his family. And you know what Jesus is saying by this message to each and every one of us here? That you're enough. 
You are enough. You don't need anybody next to you to make you somebody. God wants you to know that you are somebody in His sight to whom He has great love for and He has an amazing purpose for your life. And that if you desire to get married, He will fulfill the desire of your heart. And you just keep your focus in what He's having you do and that path will cross with the, with the, with, with the people. And if you don't like the first one that crosses your path, it's okay. There are many options out there. And you can look at the looks and the personalities and the, the, how they treat you and the service and all of that at that time to make a sensible decision as to who you're willing to live and grow with from there on moving on. But God first wants you secure in who you are, your value and His love for you and the fact that you are purposeful right now. And let us build a community like that. Come on. Let us not, let us not make our single people around us feel that this is, this is temporary or this is something that they shouldn't be, you know, staying in too long. You know, you might expire on the shelf, we say to people. Come on. <laughs> that is just old wives' tales. All right? Let's be more biblical in the way we communicate with people about their seasons. Um, and then the last thing I want to I say um, is that, again, if... If I said anything today that, that kind of confronted you and that, that was a challenge for you to hear, I want you to know that God has made enough grace available for us to walk through every single thing that we need. But what is truly needed is us to submit our hearts to Him and say, Lord, I find myself in this situation that is difficult. Will you help me to walk it out? Will you help me to honor you now that I have made this covenant before you? And even if it's difficult to do it with the person I'm with, help me to die to myself. Help me to learn how to reflect your love to this person in a way that you are reaching out to them. And, and, and can we just realize that, that? That we might find ourselves in relationships that are maybe not perfect right now. And can, can, we, can we acknowledge that both of us as partners have a responsibility to help the other, to honor God, and to live out everything that God has called us to live out? You know what? 90% of our problems in marriage will be solved if we stop fighting for our own rights and we started living for one another's purpose. We started wanting to help one another become everything that God had intended us to become. You will find yourself loving your wife differently, appreciating your husband differently. And it is just this, this healing balm that comes into our marriages if we realize that my purpose here is not to get something from you, but to add to you so that you can become what God intended you to become. And if you live your marriage from that perspective, you will heal it. And it'll become the most fulfilling and satisfying relationship that you can ever imagine. So if we can, um, if we can all stand today, I would like to pray for us. Um, if, you're, if you are single and listening to this, I, I want you to... Maybe just take a moment now in prayer and, and just accept this message from God that you're enough. 
You don't have to strive for a relationship just to become somebody or to feel valuable or to feel loved. That God loves you perfectly where you are right now and that you can pursue your purpose in Him. If you are in a a dating relationship, I want to encourage you to bring that relationship into God's, um, God's plan and ask God to define how He wants you to move forward with it. What are the conversations that he wants you to have with your, um, your dating mate as to how you can serve God, how you can promote one another's callings in God? Consider this. You might not marry that person. I'm not saying you won't, but you might not. Now, would you want to take away from them? Or do you want to add to them? And if you're not going to get married to that person, but you think, not think, if you love that person right now, your heart should be to protect that person, to promote that person in their relationship with Jesus. And wherever that leads, whether that leads to you're not marrying or marrying, that's what real love would do. So I'm not saying break up. I'm saying bring God into that so that he can define how it moves forward and for all of us who are in this room and have maybe at times said stupid things <laughs> that we now think oh my goodness I, I hope they didn't take it that way well you know what they probably didn't take it that way in the moment but because of the compound effect of these opinions and these statements it just ends up being that in life and so it's time for us to be better It's time for us to acknowledge people's present as the gift that God gave them now for where they are now. And let's help them honor that gift and use it in God's sight to honor Him and and, and follow their purpose. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name because we know we have no place before You outside of Jesus Christ. But thank you, Father, that you allow us to have this amazing father-child relationship with you that gives us free access into your presence anytime we need it, and even just at times because we want to enjoy it. Father, I pray for every person in this room that is grappling with what we said, and, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just let them forget everything I said that was stupid. And let them remember everything that's going to bring life to them, to their marriages, to the single people in their lives, and to every single person in this room. And I pray, Father, that we can all walk out here knowing that you value us for where we are right now. And that we can walk with you where we are now. We don't have to wait till someday. We can make decisions about our lives moving forward right now. If you haven't made a decision to submit your life to Jesus Christ. If you haven't made that decision yourself, you might have grown up in a Christian home, you might have you know, been around religion your whole life, but if you've not come to the personal conviction self, yourself that you're a sinner that is separated from God and you need Jesus to save you and that what He did on the cross was enough to do that and you want to step into that relationship with God right now, I want to ask you to put up your hand right now. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else would like to make this decision today? 
stop trusting in religion. Stop trusting in festivals and observances and rituals. Stop trusting in being good. And give your trust to Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Just put your hand up right now. We'll pray with you. Thank you, friend. Thank you, friend. Thank you, friend. See you at the back. Can we all pray together? Let's all pray out loud. If you put your hand up, I want you to make this confession in your own heart today. The Bible says when you do this, a miracle will take place on the inside of your heart and you will become alive. For the first time, you will become alive in your spirit, man. And you will switch over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. And you'll become a child of God. And if you, can, if you keep your faith, keep believing what Jesus did on the cross, that that'll never go away, no matter how many mistakes you make. Let's all pray this together. Let's say, Father God, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me, that you took my sin and my shame and my guilt and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I don't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and above all, a relationship with God the Father. So today, Jesus, I confess that I put my trust in you and you alone. Thank you for becoming my Savior. I will follow you as my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, family, let's encourage these folks who made this amazing decision today. If you made this decision today to give your life to the Lord, we would love to walk this journey with you from here on. We don't want you to do this alone. People around you in this room said yes to what I'm about to say. And that's why they're here and why they're walking in God's purposes and growing in God. They said yes to relationships. They said yes to not trying to do this on their own and thinking that they're strong enough to do it on their own. Do us a favor, get one of these connect cards, fill it out and mark on it that you decided to give your life to Jesus today. And the only thing we'll do is we'll get some person to come and sit with you and discuss what it means to grow in your relationship for, with Christ from here. Would you do that for us? We appreciate that. All right, let's take a seat quickly. Right now we have one of the most amazing opportunities Sometimes I see this as like a, the, the act of giving as a declaration of my trust in Jesus Christ. It's a declaration that I make that, number one, I cannot provide for myself enough and all my needs. And I cannot, I cannot even, for all the good that God wants me to do, I am insufficient to provide for that myself. And I need God's help. And secondly, I say by doing this, I say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you that you are my father. You say you are who you say you are. And as my father, you take care of your son and your daughter. You take care of your children. And so I want to encourage you as we give today that you will see it as a, as a declaration of your trust to God. Because it really is us saying that you are our provider, Lord. And um, thank you so much for 
those of you who are so generous in giving. I mean, before you become a Christian, your giving doesn't, it helps treat symptoms. But now, your giving is saving lives. Your giving is adding to people to God's family. And it's enabling people to get to know the Lord like they did today. So we want to thank you for that. We cannot do that without, without this. And so let's pray. Father, we pray a blessing over every single person here today. Father, I pray that they might receive the first blessing. And that is to know that you're their dad and that you look after them. And from that revelation, Father, move into every other activity that involves in Christianity, included here today also an act of giving. We just thank you that you bless us with that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.